First Timothy chapter number six is where you are at and where I'm getting right now. We have read, of course, this passage of scripture for Oh, two months now. We started at the beginning of October. Uh, if you're visiting with us or are newer, here's just a 30-second window of what we've been doing. We covered a few verses in 1 Timothy 6 and learned from those verses really about generosity, about giving. We also learned about serving and doing. And we're just now ending this series on doing more and giving more, on generosity, on ministering. So today is actually the last sermon for this. We're bringing the plane in for a landing. Next week we'll start a few sermons uh, just in light of the Christmas season. But want to read this passage of Scripture one more time together, and from this we'll launch uh, for our last study on this series, Be Rich. So 1 Timothy 6, verse number 17, the Bible says, Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy." that they, and there's kind of two things that are listed here, that they do good and be rich in good works, and then that they're ready to distribute and willing to communicate or willing to share. So there's this just baseline instruction. Hey, they should do more and they should give more. There should be this, this generosity, this ready and willingness to, to share and to distribute. There should be this heartbeat of I want to be rich in good works. Verse number 19, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. So in doing so, there are rewards in heaven. There's, there's laying up a good foundation. There's also experiencing heaven on earth. You lay hold on eternal life right now. And I told you from the get-go on this series that the, the healthiest way to think of this sermon series would be one big long sermon stretched across two months. So if you know anything about sermons or if you've ever made a sermon, tried to concoct one and put one together, then you know that typically... The, probably the most important part of a sermon, if not one of the most important parts of a sermon, is the conclusion, is, is the landing. It's kind of bringing it all together and, and putting it all safely home. And that's really what we're going to do today. Today I'm going to lay one final layer on this, this thought of being rich in good works, these thoughts on being generous. I'm going to lay one final layer on top of all of that that I think will wrap it all up in, in a nice little bow for us. And really it's a layer that we can't miss. It's something that is vitally important to this entire series, so much so that several of you have stopped me at certain points at time, a little bit frustrated that I haven't mentioned this yet, but you just, you just had to wait. It's, it's here today. So here's, here's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about really our primary motivation for all of our giving, for all of our serving, for any spiritual discipline. And that primary motivation is love. And really without this, the rest of it falls apart. And, and you can't give and serve very long at all without love being the catalyst for it all. So we're going to use a ton of Bible today. I encourage you to use your handout. We're actually going to go back to John 13 and launch from there this morning. We were there last week as well, so you can get ready for that. I'm going to pray, Andy's going to sing, and then we're just going to get to it. We're going to tackle this, this thought today of being motivated primarily by love in all that we do in our Christian life, but that includes us doing more and giving more. John chapter number 13, if you were here last week, you know that we were in this passage of Scripture and you get a bit of the background of John 13, but in case you weren't, here's where we're at in John 13. We're less than 24 hours before Jesus is crucified. Jesus is in an upper room on the kind of backside of Jerusalem, having what we have now kind of dubbed the Last Supper. He's observing a Passover meal with his 12 disciples there in that room. Uh, Jesus has just told them that Judas 
would betray him. Jesus has just washed their feet. They're done actually eating the meal at this point in time. And Jesus is going to give them some instruction. He's going to give them some words before they go out into the night to Gethsemane where he will be captured and taken away and, and ultimately be crucified in, in the very near future. And this is, the, these are tense moments. There's, there's a lot of weight to the words of Jesus at this point in time because these, this is really last instruction to his disciples. So after Jesus washes their feet, which we looked at last week and us being people of the towel, Jesus then moves on to give them some instruction. I want you to see that in John 13 and look at verse number 34. Just a couple short verses, but, but they're potent verses. Jesus says, a new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Jesus looks at these guys and says, guys, first, I want to give you kind of a statement. I want to give you a declaration here. He says, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. Now, what's ironic about these words is that the last thing that a first century Jewish man would have felt is that he needed another commandment. So if you're a first century Jewish guy, you got the Decalogue, which we know is the Ten Commandments. You have that. You have the Torah. You have the first five books of the Bible, which are the books of Moses, Genesis to Deuteronomy. Those are filled with commandments. And even on top of that, they had developed these oral traditions and these oral laws known as the Talmud which those were even more complicated and more far-fetched. They weren't really scripture, but they were more laws they had compounded and they had added weights and burdens to people. So if you were in Judaism, you had a ton of commandments. You had a ton of laws. You had a ton of rules, so to speak. And the last thing that you would have felt you needed was one more additional commandment. But Jesus says, guys, I'm actually going to give you a new one. I'm going to add one to you here. And he says, here's the commandment for my followers. Love one another. Now, these men would have known the first and greatest commandment, the Shema, that they should have loved the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, and mind. They would have known that. They would have known the second commandment that was like unto it, that they should love their neighbor as themselves. They even would have known by now the teaching of Jesus that they should love their enemies. So they have been peppered with love really for some time now through the ministry of Jesus. But Jesus is going to give them some specific instruction regarding each other. And basically, here's what Jesus says. He says, fellas, look around the room, love each other. Look at those that are here with you. I want you, here's my command, I want you to love each other. Now, most rooms filled with, you know, 12, 13 guys sitting there having, having dinner, having food, very common for a room full of guys. Having even some conversation, very common for a room full of guys. But to sit there as a room full of guys and talk about love, not, that's not that common, actually. And I don't think that's unique to us. I think it's just kind of always been. I don't know how many hunting camps there are out there right now where guys are preparing to go try to kill a buck tomorrow with their rifles, but there's a lot of them right now in Western PA where guys are at their hunting camps just kind of chilling out. I know there's some gals too to all the lady hunters, but there, there's a lot of guys out there. I would be willing to bet that most of them are not sitting around talking about how much they love each other. <laughs> most of them aren't. So this is kind of unique that Jesus says, fellas, look at each other. I'm going to give you a new commandment love each other. This is my declaration to you. And what is astounding about this commandment, this is told to us by John. This is John's gospel. He's one of the, one of the 12 disciples in that room who got the commandment this night. And John, apparently these words 
really impacted John. John is known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's kind of his nickname. But these words forever etch themselves onto John's mind because he alludes to them often. So if you know kind of books of the Bible, you know there's John, and this is actually kind of confusing. Whoever named these books did a bad job, I think. Because then there's 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. There's a lot of Johns that are books in the Bible. So John's gospel is written about Jesus to tell uh, the story of, of who Jesus is and what he did. But then there are three other books written by the same John that are meant to be instruction to the early church. And we've just called those 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. John also wrote Revelation, but shoved that to the side. So 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John are, are really written to be instruction. And John alludes to this commandment that we just read. He alludes to this over and over and over again in his epistles to the first century church. I want to read a couple of these. These are on your outline for you. 1st John 3. John alludes to this. He says, this is the message that she heard from the beginning, referring to this room, this night that we should love one another. A few verses later in 1 John 3, this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. A chapter later, 1 John 4, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. The next book, 2 John, he writes, Now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. See, so what's the point of all that? The point is that these words that Jesus spoke, John records in his gospel, but John alludes to them over and over and over again in really short epistles. He alludes to them time and time again, trying to press into the mind and heart of the early church that what Jesus said was vital for us. That was deeply important for us that we get love, that we understand that commandment, that we understand the declaration to love each other. One commentator said it this way. He said, ministry is the heart of the church and love is the blood that supplies the heart. And that's so true. That we can talk about giving and we can talk about serving, we can talk about some spiritual disciplines, but really all of that is meant to work, all of that is meant to go with love. All of that is meant to be supplied by love. So Jesus says, here's the declaration, look, love each other. But then he gives us a design, and you can't miss the design. This is so important for us in light of love. He says, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. So guys, new commandment, love each other. As I've loved you, that's how you should love each other. So here's, here's the problem with love for us as 21st century Americans. Love is a junk drawer word. Love is that thing that you can just throw anything into the drawer and it can all just stick in there. We love God. Amen? We love Jesus Christ. We love his word. We love our wife. We love our kids. But then we love our jobs and we love our car and we love our dog, and we love steak, and we love our socks, and we love meal deal D at Taco Bell. Can I get a witness on that? We, we love anything, right? Love is just like this descriptor that we just throw at anything nowadays, and it has very little value because we just say we love anything and everything at random, and, and now there's, there's no real meaning to it. When we say love, more often than not, what we, what we mean by love is well, at this present moment, this is benefiting me, so I love it. That's what we mean many times. Right now, this is helping me, and I'm enjoying it. There's some, there's some benefit, so I'll just say that I love it. And, and I think our, our marriages and divorce rates show this, right? 
that, hey, I'm in love, and, and I love him, and she loves me, and I love her, and well, until I don't feel like I'm getting personal benefit from it, then, then I don't know, love's, love's questionable. We love our car, right? Old Faithful, she's got me to point A to point B for 30 years now, 480,000 miles. I love my car until it breaks down tomorrow. I hate this piece of junk, right? We loved the Steelers last Thursday. They were, they were on fire. Great game. Tonight, they may be a garbage fire. And then it's no longer, I love the Steelers. Now, I hate this. Every year, they do this to me. We're never going to make it past the Patriots in the playoffs. It just, we're up and down with, with our love. And as such, love begins to mean little to nothing. So what do we do? We try to define it, right? And when we oftentimes, more often than not, and if you don't believe me, just Google love is and, and check out what the Google images are. It's, it'll blow your mind, okay? <laughs> we try to define love. What, what is love? So, well, well love, is, love is what makes me feel loved. Love is changing the baby's diaper at 4 a.m. so I don't have to. Love is walks on the beach. Hopefully you're not landlocked because then you're, you're out of luck because then you're not going to know what love is because you're not going to walk on the beach. Love is... Love is, I say I love you at random moments. Love is breakfast in bed. Love is, this is kind of a universal love is. Love is his warm leg for your cold feet, right? That, that applies to probably every marriage under the sun. Love is shopping trips. Love is hunting trips. Love is whatever makes me feel loved. But the problem with that is you're never, really not going to find love is hunting trips in the Bible. You can try. There's probably a few of you that have a verse for that, I'm sure, but it's not there. And what makes you feel loved may not make someone else feel loved. So, so what, what do we do with this instruction to love each other? What do we do with the instruction to love our brothers and sisters in Christ? Like this is of utmost importance. This is right before Jesus is going to die. He's giving them this instruction. And this has to be more than some ethereal concept. There, there has to be some tangibility to it. There has to be something that we can measure it by. So how do we do it? When Jesus tells us, he gives us the design of love. He says, as I have loved you, so ought ye also to love one another. That's the design. Jesus says, you want to know what true love is? You want to know how you should love each other? You want to know what love should really look like? Look at me. You consider Christ. You look at how he loved us, and that will give you the descriptors that you need to know what love is and what love is not. Now, I could give you a whole sermon series on the love of Christ. I'll take just a few minutes and give you a brief window into what the love of Christ is. The love of Christ, it, biblically, is initiating love. First John 4, we love him because he first loved us, right? The Bible tells us that he initiated this. Now, Raise of hands. How many of you loved your spouse first? You loved them before they loved you. Mostly guys, a few gals, okay. You know what's scary about that? You're the initiator. You have to step out and, you know, ask them on the date, say the words first. And you do say the words, okay, young people. You don't text the words. You don't email the words. You say them face-to-face -face when you're 30. Right, parents? But, but there, there's something a little scary, right? There's something a little risky about initiating love. There's something that is a bit vulnerable about putting your love out there first. Why? Because they may not give it back to you. They may not love you in return, but the Bible tells us that the love of Christ is initiating love, that we love him because he first loved us, that he initiated it, that he loved us first. The Bible tells us that the love of God is unconditional, 
Remember the story of the prodigal in Luke 15 where the prodigal runs away from home, squanders all his money, gives disgrace to the family name, acts the fool, and then he wants to come back home with nothing. And what's the story about the prodigal and sin? Yeah, but there's, there's a story of the father, the father who's waiting with open arms to welcome him, hug him, put a robe around him, give him a feast. There's this unconditionalness to the love of God that is there that's shown for us in that story of the prodigal that no matter what we do, there's still love. You're not going to get away from it. I would say this, the love of Christ is not an iffy love. It's not a because of love. It's an in spite of love. It's although you did love. That's the love of Christ. You, you're not earning it. <laughs> there's, there's nothing that you're doing because of you. It's in spite of you. It's unconditional. It's unconditional for you that that love is there offered for you, and, and you're not going to change that at all. There's nothing you could do in the positive or the negative to change that. The love of Christ is forgiving love. Colossians 3 tells us we are to forbear one another. That literally means put up with. Forgive one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. The love of Christ forgave us. Even Jesus on the cross forgives those that are, that are murdering him. Father, forgive them, for they know, they know not what they do. There's forgiveness there, and that is meant to show us what true love is meant to be. I've told this illustration once or twice, but I love it, because best I know it's a true story. There was a dad in Madrid, Spain, who had a, a son that was estranged from him, who was in his late teens or early 20s, and he couldn't find him. And he wanted to find his son, and he wanted to make sure his son knew that he loved him. So he put an ad in the paper, and it said, Dear Paco, meet me in front of the newspaper office at noon. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. The next day, hundreds of Pacos showed up. <laughs> Why? Because they wanted love. They wanted forgiveness. They, that, that, that's a craving. In our love, there's a stink bug. I forgive that stink bug. Our love is meant to be a forgiving love. Why? Because Christ's love was forgiving. Christ's love was sacrificial. Ephesians 5 tells us that we as husbands are to love our wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Love is meant to be an action verb. There's meant to be something that happens. There's meant to be something tangible there. That this, is, this is Jesus. Remember the story last week where Jesus washes their feet. He does something for those men. But the story, it, it begins with Jesus has a heart of love for them, and the Bible says that he loves them to the end. He loves them to the moon and back. That love manifested itself in, in action. And Jesus doing something for those men and even teaching them a lesson. And he continues this lesson and says, hey, just like I love you, love each other. It's sacrificial love. It's unending love. Paul writes in Romans 8, one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible, and he says this, I am persuaded, and he's going to list like anything he can throw at this verse. I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, that's pretty much everything, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Paul says, you couldn't get away from the love of God if you wanted to. You, if you tried, you could sin your best, and you're still not going to be separated from the love of God. Now, he will, he will chastise you in your sin because he loves you, but there's enough, it's unending. So when we're talking about how should we love each other, what we, how? Christ, 
How did he love us? He loved us in a sacrificial way, in, in an unending way. He loved us in a way that was initiating. He forgave us. That's the love of Christ. This is the love that Jesus said. Here's the design. It's not just pick what you want, let culture define it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to design it. I'm going to define it. Here's what it is. It's as I've loved you. That's the love that you should have one to another, the love that Christ has for us. But beyond that, he says there's a distinction. Guys, love each other. And love each other as I've loved you. But beyond that, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. He says that the distinguishing mark of this faith family here, you, you little disciples, the distinguishing mark that people are going to be able to know this is of God, you're Christian, is that you love one another. People are going to look and see that love and they're going to be enamored by it. They're going to think to themselves, that's different. That, that stands in contrast to, to what I have known. And this applies to us. Now, I'm going I'm to push it out broader than this in just a moment. But as a church family, this applies to us because family is a way that the church is described in the Bible. And as a family, we operate not on law but on love. We operate on not rules but relationships, right? So this means that our care for each other is undergirded by love, that we don't walk around with a holiness stick trying to make sure that everyone measures up to our mark just because we should. No, we, we walk around and we exhort and we encourage and we build up. We even provoke to good works. Why? Because we love. Because, because we care. Over the last year, I've, I've talked to a lot of different pastors about a lot of different things just trying to seek advice. But one of the pieces of advice that I'll probably never forget is a pastor told me, if people know that you love them, you can tell them just about anything. He was saying, you can, you can shoot straight, you can correct, you can tell them what they need to do or not do, give them advice, just clearly, even bluntly, if they know that you love them. And that, that should not be the exception to the rule, that should be the norm, that we love each other because we're a family. This even in, in your own family, this should be the underpinning for your relationships is love. This is what in the Likens family, we want to be the underpinning for our relationships with my wife, even with, with our children, our children with each other as siblings, we want it to be loved. We went to, through great lengths to try to get Brennan to love Willow right out of the gate. Brennan's two. He's going to have a baby sister. We're trying to teach him to wrap his head around what it means, and, and you're going to have a baby sister and all this, and that's difficult with a two-year-old if you've ever been there. But we wanted him not to resent her and that she's now getting the attention and all eyes are on her, but to love her. So someone in this room, I forget who exactly, gave us a piece of advice to say, you should get a gift from Willow, the newborn, to your son Brennan to try to initiate love right away. So we did that. And that's probably one of a lot of reasons why there was this immediate Brennan loved Willow because there was this gift. Now, obviously, she didn't buy it. We bought it. But he thought she did. Now, we're still a work in progress, okay? Thursday, Brennan choke-slammed his sister for no apparent reason. <laughs> that's not, that's, I'm not exaggerating. She's just minding her own. He walks up to her by the throat and throws her down. So we're still working on this, you know? There, there's a little bit of discipline that, that happened after that. That's, this is not what we do. This, <laughs> you're nice and kind and sweet. You don't love. Some of you are looking at me like, really? Really? He's, you know, he needs to be saved. Pray for him. So... Um, <laughs> But we want love to be, to be the relationship. We want love to be what, what underpins our family. 
And the same should be true of a church family broadly. And I know that it's a big place, and I don't know, you know, I sit in this section. I don't know that section. I sit in the front. I don't know the back. I get that. But those that you meet, those that you are in connection with, there should be a love that we have for other people. I, not to abuse the word, but I do love this passage of Scripture. Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, and he writes 1 Thessalonians, and he tells this church that was really good at loving people to love people more. Here's what he says to them in 1 Thessalonians 4. As touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you. For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. So guys, you don't even need me to write because the love of God is already a, a great teacher. But let me say something. Indeed, you do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. So hey, you guys actually love those that are within your church walls, but even Christians outside of your church walls, like just in the region, you love them. And he says this, we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. So good job. Keep loving. Keep going further. This is what he writes later on in his second letter to them. He says, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it's meet, because your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. What's this saying? Paul wrote to some people that loved each other and said, Do it more. Then he wrote to them later on and said, Hey, you did it. You actually abounded. You increased. This tells me that the, the instruction for, from Jesus here to love each other is not far-fetched. This is, this is reachable. This is an attainable goal because there was a church in the first century that did love each other, that they were mega-dosing on love. They actually had lots of love, and it kept increasing more and more and abounding, which tells me as a church family, we will never reach the point where we say, you know what? we just got a little bit too much love around here. Like we're, we're just caring for each other and loving each other and, and trying to build each other up. And you know what? We need to tone that down a bit. <laughs> like we've just, I think we've gone too far with this. It'll never happen. Because love should be something that embodies us, that we do increase, that we do abound in. And Jesus says, hey, guys, love each other. Love as I have loved you, and let people see that, and that's going to be really different for them, and they're going to be drawn to you because of what they see. Now, let me push this out further and help you understand where this love that Jesus is talking about applies to be rich. This applies to our giving. This applies to our serving. This applies to us doing more and giving more. It really goes beyond just loving each other. So let me give you just a a couple brief statements, and we'll bring this plane in for a landing. First is this. Serving and giving alone falls utterly short. Serving and giving alone. Just because I'm commanded to, it's a good thing to do, I'll do it out of duty, that falls utterly short. Remember the story of Mary and Martha? Jesus goes over to Mary and Martha's house. They have a meal for him. Him and his entourage come over. And what happens in that story? Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. She's loving Jesus. She's adoring Jesus. She, according to Jesus, had chosen the better part. Martha is cumbered about with much serving. That sounds good, right? Do more, give more. Cumber yourself about with much serving. Way to go, Martha. And there's some good things to Martha. Like Martha gets a bad rap sometimes. Martha was a good woman. She, she opened her home up to Jesus. She wanted to make a meal for them. She wanted to give. She wanted to serve. Like Martha's not an atheist. You know, she, she's a good woman. But Martha chooses 
to give of herself and her time and to serve, but to do that exclusively, and she is not loving on Jesus or adoring Jesus. And what happens in the story? Martha becomes frustrated. Martha ends up actually going to Jesus while he's teaching, and Mary is sitting there absorbing Jesus and time with him. And Martha goes to Jesus, and she asks the Lord, Lord, don't you care that I'm doing all the serving? Martha gets frustrated. She, she literally, okay, who's Martha questioning? Jesus. Oh, that's a bad day. When you're so frustrated that you start to question Jesus, that's never a good thing. You know, when Jesus comes to your house and you chase him around with a wooden spoon, that's just not one that you want to, you know, repeat over and over again. But Martha goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, don't you care that I'm, that, I'm, that I'm serving so much that I'm doing it all? And Jesus looks at Martha and says, you know what? I do care. You're right. Kudos to you for serving so much. Let me help you out. No, he says, Martha, Mary has chosen the better part. You need to be down here spending some time with me. You need to be loving on me. You need to adore me. What, what happens to Martha is what will happen to you if you give and serve alone. You will become frustrated. You will become the person that looks at everybody else. Seems like I have to do everything around here. You know, sign up for this, sign up for this. I'm, I'm doing it all. This, 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 this. Why, there, there's a room full of people. Why isn't somebody else doing this? I could use a break. You'll become the person that wants to examine everybody else. Make them do something. It doesn't feel like they're, you will become frustrated inside if you're giving and serving alone. And it's not fueled by love for Jesus. And Jesus is trying to help Martha in this story realize that. Now, Martha, yes, you're giving and yes, you're serving. And those are good things. But that, that's not enough. There has to be the better part. There has to be relationship with the Lord. There has to be love for him. That has to motivate it all. And what strikes me over the last couple of weeks that I've studied this story is that Martha should have known that it didn't rest on her shoulders exclusively. By now, Jesus has fed 5,000 and even fed 4,000. And he comes over to Martha's house and Martha's worried about making a meal for maybe 20. Like, Martha would have known the story. Like, she would have known recently a kid gave Jesus a Lunchable and he fed a stadium with it. But somehow she's forgot that and she thinks it's all on her shoulders and that everything's going to fall apart if she doesn't do it and she doesn't work and, she doesn't, and she, she's completely self-focused and Jesus says, no, stop. Sit down and enjoy me. Love me a little bit. Hear my words. This is what you need, Martha. So for us to have two months on giving and serving, very valid. There's a lot of biblical instruction on that. But for us to, to miss the mark and to not have love as the primary motivation, would, would, we would fall utterly short. Beyond that, I would say this, without love, spiritual gifts are meaningless. A few weeks ago, we talked specifically about spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12. What's interesting about those passages, 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, where the spiritual gifts are mentioned, is that that instruction on spiritual gifts is followed immediately by instruction on love. This is what, this is in your notes. If you don't have your notes, you can turn there in 1 Corinthians 12. I want to read you this. I'm not going to read the whole instruction on, on spiritual gifts because we talked about it, but this is how this ends. Ch last verse of chapter 12. Cover earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. All right, Paul, what is the more excellent way than just using our spiritual gifts? All right, here's what he says. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity or love, 
I'm become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, that's some big stuff, and have not charity, I am nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Now, this, this, this is not a coincidence that 1 Corinthians 12, spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 14, spiritual gifts, right in the middle is sandwiched 1 Corinthians 13, which is instruction on love. And Paul says you can have all the spiritual gifts. You can even do it all. And he lists them like some really big stuff. Like we had a ministry menu where you can check to be involved in certain things. There was nowhere on that card, remove a mountain with your faith. Now, if you could do that, I would love it because I would have you flatten like the whole region because these hills, they're annoying sometimes. Are they not? That's not on there. There is no be a martyr and give yourself to be burned on that card. But Paul says, if you did that, if you were a martyr, gave your, gave your body to be burned and you didn't have love, what's the point? It doesn't profit. There, there's no good to that. The same thing happens in, in Romans 12. I won't read the whole passage to you, but Paul ends his instruction on, on gifts, spiritual gifts, and he says right after that, the next verse is, let love be without dissimulation, meaning don't, it's not fake. M- make it authentic. Make it real. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. Now, you can go all through the Bible, and you'll find that to be the case. Even Jesus' instruction on, on, on serving with the towel last week that we talked about. It was prefaced with Jesus having a heart of love for them. That is all through the Bible, everywhere you go. For, for us to use our spiritual gifts, great, two thumbs up. But to use them without love falls utterly short. It's, it's, according to the words of Paul, it's pointless, it's fruitless. There's, there's no good in that. Even... I can give you so many examples of Jesus' instruction just constantly being prefaced with instruction on love. Remember the rich young ruler that came to Jesus in Mark? And Jesus told him to go give all his goods to the poor. And the rich man went away sorrowful because he had a lot to give away. Mark says that that instruction was prefaced with this. Jesus, loving him and beholding him, then told him to do this. Jesus was not being mean to the guy. He was trying to help him. There was, there was love there. And you will find that instruction on giving, instruction on serving, it's constantly, all through the Bible, just laced and intertwined with love. Even beyond that, I would say this. Our service should be fueled by love for Jesus. That's the bottom line. What we give and what we do should be fueled by, even our love for other people is fueled by love for Jesus. This is why Jesus can give instruction to people and say, hey, in the last day, I'm going to tell you that you did it unto the least of these. I, I know you were doing it, you know, to help that person that was down on the luck. I know that you were doing it to, to give that person a leg up. I know that, but as much as you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. That was for me. This is why Colossians can tell us that we should work as unto the Lord. That what we do and what we serve, it really isn't for other people. When it's all said and done, it's really for the Lord Jesus. That what, what's in our hearts, what motivates us, what propels us, is really that I'm doing it for God. I'm doing this. And are there, are there good motivations in the Bible? We've looked at some of them. Can you be motivated by laying up in store for yourself treasure in heaven? Yeah, it's a biblical proper motivation. 
Can you be motivated just by duty that the Bible says do this or you should do it because you respect the authority of Scripture? Yeah, that's a proper motivation. But all of that really does fall a bit short if you don't understand that love is the primary motivation, that love is meant to make us go, that love is the oil in the engine. Without it, you will overheat, you will knock, you will smoke, you will break down. That we are to, in our spiritual gifts, our giving, our serving, I don't care if you're fasting, praying, any spiritual discipline, that this is meant to be fueled by love. And I could go on and on and on about love and, and just the astounding truths that are in the Bible, that all the law and the prophets hang on love, that it's the first and greatest commandments, that all the law is fulfilled in love, that God is described as love, but love is meant to motivate us. So, so what this teaches us, and what I can promise you, is that if, if, your, if your love for the Lord is right, first of all, it's much easier to have your love for other people right, vertical before horizontal. But if your love for the Lord is right, that will lead you into giving and serving far beyond what I could ever give you in a two-month sermon series. Far beyond it. You will, out, out of a heart of love for the Lord Jesus, you will do some things that you never even thought that you would do yourself. You find yourself in a soup kitchen serving some soup to some people in need. You may find yourself in a refugee camp halfway around the world giving the gospel to some Muslim people that have been shoved out of their country. You may find yourself wanting to spearhead some project that is way beyond your capabilities and way outside your comfort zone. I don't know where specifically it will lead you, but I can promise you this. It will lead you into giving. It will lead you into, ser into serving because to steal words from Amy Carmichael, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. And you could insert serving in there as well. That love will push you. A love for the Lord Jesus Christ will help the rest fall into place in your life. So the point of this, really when it's all said and done, is what Andy's saying. To God be the glory. It's all about him. It's all about looking at Jesus and how he is given to us and sacrificed his life for us and how he has loved us with a frankly scandalous love that we do not deserve, how he has cared for us, how he even today wants to minister to your needs and take your burdens and, and help you, that, that that is there through the Lord Jesus Christ and that pushes us, that helps us, that motivates us. That's the primary motivation for any of it is that I love the Lord Jesus Christ and as such, I love other people, whether they're brothers and sisters in Christ, whether they whether I would even consider them an enemy. It doesn't matter. I love my neighbor. I love them. And that love put, propels me to action. It makes me want to do something. It makes me want to give of myself. It makes me want to serve. It makes me want to be involved. Love does that. I, I would dare say that the history of Harvest Baptist Church is a history of some really ordinary people that had an extraordinary God and some people that had a heart to be generous and had a heart to serve and that heart was fueled by love. And when those are mixed together, it's frankly an unstoppable combination. When, when that takes place, there is there's something that happens in, in any church family that is beautiful to watch. To see generosity and service pour out, not because of duty, not because some, some guy gave a sermon, but because I love the Lord Jesus. So as we... As we bring this plane in, this series on, on Be Rich for a landing. What, what I want you to walk away with in conclusion is this, that should we 
because the Bible tells us give more, serve more, do more. Yeah, absolutely. But all that is meant to be, I love the Lord. He loved me. I don't deserve it. He loves me with a, not an iffy love, but an in spite of love, because of love. I want to love other people. I want to love him. And I, I, can, I can assure you, the rest will fall into place if your love for the Lord is right.